Well, good morning. Glad to see you. Good to be back with you here at Velocity. Uh, my name is Neil Wheeler, and I'm Director of Leader Care with uh, Waypoint Church Partners. Uh, at Waypoint, we do three things. Uh, we plant churches. All of the baptisms that you saw right there are from uh, Collective Christian Church, which is one of our plants three years ago in Frederick, Maryland. Uh, they just celebrated two weekends ago their 100th baptism in three years. And those are just a collection of the uh, baptisms uh, that were done there. The second thing that we do uh, is uh, just to support existing churches uh, in uh, a five-state region uh, that we uh, minister into. There are over 500 churches, and that's a great thing for us just to be able to come alongside, help them get on mission, stay on mission. And the third thing we do, which is primarily what I do, is leader care. I get the best job in the world. I get to hang out uh, with pastors like your pastor. And uh, you would have thought when I buy guys like your minister a cup of coffee or, uh, you know, a lunch that I've given them a million dollars. Truth of the matter is your preacher eats a lot and he probably eats a million dollars worth of food. And I am, uh, but I'm thrilled to be able to do that, uh, and that's the joy of my life, just to be able uh, to walk alongside, encourage pastors uh, and church leaders, put wind in their sails, and kind of like Aaron and her, if you remember the story from the Old Testament, uh, when Moses' arms uh, grew tired during a battle, his two buddies just lifted up his hands, and that's the, what I have the privilege of doing every single day, uh, and it's a thrill. Well, I want to talk to you today about what I know is the greatest disciple-making opportunity that your church has ever faced in its history. As a matter of fact, it's the greatest disciple-making opportunity that I've ever seen in my over 40-plus years of ministry, and it's thrilling to be able to walk during this time, which is like no other time in our existence and uh, be able to see the potential and the opportunity to make new disciples for Jesus Christ. I have a good friend of mine. Uh, his name is Roby. He's assistant pro at a golf course in Salem, Virginia, uh, which is real close to where I grew up. And uh, about four years ago, I asked Roby uh, because I was noticing uh, it seemed like uh, golf uh, playership was tr- kind of trending down. And I just asked Roby, I said, so tell me about what's happening in golf courses across the United States. Uh, And he told me, he said, well, we are, in fact, trending down. That's why you're seeing golf courses close. Uh, You're not seeing new courses open. And golf courses are beginning to wonder, are we going to be able to stay in business? I saw my friend Roby in June of this year, uh, right in the middle of COVID, and I asked Roby exactly the same question. I said, Roby, what is happening with golf today? And he gave me two statements. And I said, Roby, both of those are preached. Number one, he said, COVID did for golf what golf could not do for itself. (laughs) Gyms were closed. You know, people couldn't do a lot of exercise stuff inside. But I don't know whether you know this or not, golf is an outside activity. And once we figured out how to put two people in a cart uh, safely, uh, he said, golf has never flourished better than it has right now today. COVID provided an opportunity and did for golf what golf could never do for itself, number one. But number two, Roby said powerful, a powerful statement, though I don't think he knew how powerful it was to, uh, would become. He said, uh, but we believe in the PGA that we have about a two-year window of opportunity. 
about a two-year window of opportunity to capture people's heart for golf. I have a good friend who pastored a church in, uh, in uh, New Jersey uh, during 9-11, during the season of 9-11, uh, and he told me, he said, I couldn't see the Twin Towers from my church, but I didn't have to go very far to be able to see the Twin Towers, or at least where they once stood. And he said, after the 9-11 attacks, he said the most startling thing happened. He said, I would sit in my office. In fact, I really didn't leave my church office that much during the day because person after person after person that I did not even know came into my church and said, Pastor, would you pray for me? He said that window of opportunity lasted about four months. And then everything got back to normal and everybody forgot about their concern for the Lord. My friends, what I want you to understand is that we are in an absolute unbelievable window of opportunity for making disciples for Jesus Christ. But only churches who have kingdom eyes, who have kingdom eyes will seize that opportunity. I hope you have your Bible or your uh, phone, uh, your app, so that you can turn with me to the Gospel of John, the fourth chapter. You will need your Bible today because I'll be focusing over and over and over again back to this story. Uh, I love the story of the woman at the well, and uh, we'll be focusing down on this story this morning. I want to read just one verse of that story to begin with, though we'll go back over and over and over again. So don't turn your phone off. Don't put away your Bible. It's in John chapter 4 and uh, the last part of verse 35. Jesus says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields that are white to harvest. Let's just pray together this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, I just pray that you would give this church, and not this, just this church, but every church in our city, kingdom eyes to see the harvest field around us today. And Father, would you give believers here in this church and this church and churches all over our city, would you give them creative juices just to find brand new opportunities to reach one more new person for Jesus Christ? That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, during uh, the last almost 20 months, as uh, we've been navigating COVID, I've met with uh, minister after minister after minister, and I, I will connect with about 100 or so ministers every single month or church leaders every single month. And I've asked minister after minister uh, exactly uh, two, two questions. The first question I ask is, what do you think Satan has been doing during COVID? And the second question, I think is far more important than the first, is what do you think God has been doing during COVID? Now, I want to walk with you through this story with those two questions in mind this morning. So let's first of all ask the first question, what do you think Satan has been up to during COVID? I received so many different answers to that question as I talked to leaders, and I boiled them all down to two words. I believe Satan has been up to isolation and distraction. Isolation and distraction. Now we see both of those in this story. There are two uh, major 
groups of characters in this story. There's the woman that Jesus meets, and then their disciple, the disciples, and in them, we see both of those uh, two words. Uh, we uh, described, we see isolation in the woman, and we see distraction in the disciples. Let's First of all, look at the distract, I'm sorry, the isolation of the woman. Go back with me to chapter 4, verse 1, and let's get rolling start into this story. It says, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had, uh, had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although John, uh, Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, Jesus left Judea and departed again for Samaria. And he had to pass through uh, to Galilee, I'm sorry. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field of Jacob that he had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, weary or tired as he was from his journey, was sitting beside a well. And it was about the sixth hour or noon. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. That's an important statement. We'll come back to that in a minute. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink of water for me, a woman from Samaria? Now drawing water was always a group activity. Deep inside this woman's DNA, there was just the desire to be together with other people. You remember God spoke that uh, into existence in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18 when he says, not good for a person to live alone. And this woman desired and longed for togetherness. But the question is, why was she alone? Everyone else, all the other ladies certainly would have come out first thing in the morning to draw water, but not this lady. This lady all by herself came out to the well uh, to draw water during the middle of the day, the hot part of the day. Why did that happen? Verse 16 through 18 explains. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I don't have a husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband at all. What you have said is exactly true. You know, John 10, 10 describes Satan. It's, it describes Satan's purpose. It says that Satan comes only to kill and to steal and to destroy. And during COVID, he's been active doing that all over the place. And that was the case in this woman's life. Satan's only desire was to kill her, to steal from her, to destroy her life completely. You know, I think it's very easy for us to look at this woman and say, point the finger and say, man, she deserved everything she got. She'd been married five times. And you'd have thought by the time she was married three times, she'd have figured out maybe the problem wasn't them, maybe the problem was her. But I guess she didn't, but she went on and on and on. And she comes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, why would you even talk to me? I don't think it was just the fact that they were different nationalities, but I think she had already by that time realized that most people wanted nothing to do with her because she was a sinful woman. Anybody here a sinful woman or man today? So easy for us to point the finger and say, she deserves what she got. But the truth of the matter is, the reality is that our secret sin, if they were known by other individuals in the room, 
I think there would be not a one of us that wouldn't go screaming out the door in total shame saying, I just can't handle this uh, shame that I feel today. That's the woman's isolation. And we get that. We understand that. And we've seen isolation so clearly during COVID. But then we see the disciples' distraction. While the woman was isolated, we see the disciples were totally distracted by their own personal wants. Go back to the story. Pick up with verse 7. It says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, uh, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Jump down to verse 27. In verse 27, it says, just then the disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what, are, what do you seek or why are you talking with her so the woman left her jar and went away. Go down to verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not even know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to him, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his purpose for my life. Do you not say that yet there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? I say to you, look, open your eyes, lift up your eyes and see the harvest field that is all around you. Now, if you follow the plot line, it's easy to notice what transpires in this story. Apparently, the woman coming out of the village to draw water at a well and the disciples leaving the well to go back into the same village to buy food, apparently, they crossed paths somewhere along the way. But it's fascinating to me that not one of them said, you know, we ought to take that woman to Jesus. She's all by herself. She seems lonely. She seems desolate. She seems like she's hurting. We ought to take her to Jesus, the master, the one that we have been called to serve. You know, it's really easy for me to point the finger at the disciples and say, oh man, I cannot believe that they missed that opportunity of a lifetime. But would you ask with me the question, how many individuals during COVID have we brought to Jesus to find hope and help during their time of struggle. The disciples missed, because of their physical want, the eternal need of this woman. And so, we see isolation and we see distraction. Folks, Satan's tactics have not changed. During COVID-19, he has been so busy isolating people and distracting Christians and churches all through the process. 
You know, for months, uh, we heard the, the numbers, the numbers, the numbers. And, and I'm not downplaying individuals that have, have gotten sick with COVID. I had COVID. I'm an early adopter in everything. I got COVID in January before it was ever even announced in February or March, okay? And so I, I like to get things early and get it over with. And, and so I'm not downplaying that. Uh, it was not fun. I was sick for a good while. I've even had friends who have died during COVID. So I'm not downplaying the physical ramifications at all. But from day one, I asked the question, what is the impact of COVID isolation? Have you wondered that question? During the past 20 months, depression and anxiety have increased four times in our country, from an average of 11% of Americans to 42% of Americans. That means that almost half the people in this room Half the people you'll see every single, all, all day long today are dealing either with anxiety or depression at a major level. Two million individuals during COVID have made a suicide plan and half of them have carried out their plan. Domestic violence has soared. Substance abuse has exploded. School kids have been damaged forever. Ever. My wife was, a, was an educator before she retired, and she shares with me that kids, and she was with special needs kids, she said special needs kids, but all kids will never catch up from where they were pre-COVID. Aggressive behavior has mushroomed. Has anyone noticed that drivers are more on edge today than they were two years ago? Anybody said that, seen that? I learned about a, a, a late the other day a lady that was driving on uh, one of our freeways here in here in town, and a guy came up beside her, turned on his signal. He wanted her lane, and she, you know she, she didn't give it to him. So guess what he did? He took it, bashed into the side of her car, and just kept right on going. Now I haven't done that, but I thought about doing that. How about you? You know, aggressive behavior everywhere. Everywhere we look, we see the roaring lion destroying isolated people one after another after another. But at the same time, while Satan has been busy isolating people during COVID, what's he been doing inside the church and with leaders? Man, he's been busy distracting churches like no other time in my life. I've never seen a time during my ministry where more churches have totally forgotten the, minister, the, the mission of reaching lost people for Jesus than right now. Churches have been distracted by shutdown. You know, if you would have told me that, uh, uh, you know, every church in America, not just in America, but every church all the way around the world would be shut down for months on end, I would have said, you are crazy. That will never happen. The reality is this church, like every other church, slow to have people return back to church. Folks, can I give you the honest truth, the startling truth? 25% of the people that have not come back yet will never come back. Not just to Velocity, but to any church. They are gone forever. The church has been distracted by division. I was in a church uh, a business meeting not too long ago, and uh, the topic of discussion, and there were questions, it was a question and answer uh, time uh, at the end of the meeting, and every question, it was fascinating to me, the questions that were asked. 
one person asked about the communion cups. I don't like the communion cups. Those wafers are, taste like styrofoam. You know, I don't like that. When are we going to get our bulletins back? Do y'all, y'all don't have, do you even know what a bulletin is, Chip? Don't have a clue what a That's a program that gives you the lineup for today and announcements and all. When are we going to get our bulletins back? And then the third question was, we don't like the service times. When are we going to get back to the way it always was before? I sat in that meeting and I almost cried because nobody, nobody, nobody asked the question, what are we going to do about reaching lost people that don't know Jesus? Distracted churches. We've uh, been distracted by leader exhaustion. As I said before, my job is connecting with leaders, and I connect with about 100 every single month. My question always, the go-to question is, how are you doing? Not what are you doing. Most ministers, just like your minister, are sharp people, and they can figure out what to do. But my question is always, how are you doing? The last nine months, every single leader that I've asked that question to, how are you doing, They've answered with pretty much a one-word answer. Totally tired, exhausted, worn out. I wish you could join me. You can't, but I wish you could join me in leadership meetings that I have with uh, ministers. Wish you could have been there the day that a uh, young leader uh, as we were actually, we were walking into a, uh, into a soul care event that we were doing. And as we were walking in the door, I just turned to him. I've known him for a while. I turned to him and I said, so how are things going? And he said, man, it's the worst week of my life. And he kept on walking. And I grabbed him by the shirt and drug him back inside. We never even made it in the session because he shared with me during this last week. And he said, I believe all three of these events were COVID-related, COVID-stress, COVID-burnout, COVID-anger-related. I had uh, the dad of one of my church members, the lady in my church, dad murdered his, my mom, uh, her mom, and then took his own life. That was on a Tuesday. And on a Thursday, I had a teenager in my church commit suicide as well. Now, Chip, what I want you to know, in a lifetime of ministry, that would be enough for a whole lifetime. But for all of that to happen in one week, absolutely unbelievable. I wish you could have been with me the day that the young uh, youth minister said, you know, Neil, I, I, I can deal with the fact that most of my parents are mad at me. They're mad about, you know, how we're opening or what I'm not doing with our kids or what I am doing with their kids. He said, I could deal with all of that. But why did my wife and I have to have three miscarriages during COVID? Wish you could have been with me the day that my friend, I've known him for years, a capable, just a great young leader. His church was on the verge of of a a total remodel. They were going to uh, rebrand themselves and they were going to do a capital campaign. And that was all going to be announced the day that the governor of North Carolina closed down all churches. The same day that the governor of Virginia closed down churches here in Virginia. And he said, so we didn't announce any of those things, uh, of course. And then he said, we went through months and months and months of people arguing and fussing and fighting about everything under the sun. And he said, finally, after a 90-minute elder and deacon meeting, he said, I decided I'm done. You know what the argument was during the deacon's meeting? Where we place the flags on the stage. You know what he's doing today? 
He's teaching seventh grade math. He told me last time I talked to him, I would rather get paid to teach seventh graders than get paid to try to herd a bunch of adults working, acting worse than seventh graders. The Center for Church Leadership says that 46%, listen to this, 46% of the guys standing on stages like this sharing a message on Sunday morning right now today, 46%, that's almost half, are seriously considering walking away from ministry. And we haven't even begun to see that tidal wave of exhaustion and PTSD and what that's going to look like into our future. Who loses when the church is distracted? Well, it's isolated people always. That's what Satan's been doing during COVID. What has God been doing during COVID? Well, during COVID, I believe that God's doing what he always does during times of crisis. Two things. Number one, he's been preparing hearts to receive the gospel, and he's been opening the eyes of Christians to see the opportunities around them. Now, if you go back to the story, I got to ask you the question, was Jesus surprised to meet this woman at the well? Absolutely not. Jesus knows all things, and he was not surprised at all because he had been preparing her heart all of her life. Through every bad decision, through every broken marriage, through every hurt relationship, through every uh, you know, uh, guilt-filled walk to the well, Jesus had been preparing her heart for one moment in time. And that's when he said in verse 26, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior you've been looking for. Her response to me is absolutely fascinating. This is not the response of the disciples. They're the ones that are being trained to disciple and, and bring people to Jesus. But this woman who just learned about Jesus that day, notice what she does in verse 28. It says, so the woman immediately left her water jar and went back into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Can this be the Messiah? And they went out of the town and they were coming to meet Jesus. My friends, what has God been doing, doing during COVID? Two things. He's been opening hearts, preparing hearts to receive the gospel. And he's been opening eyes to churches who are aware and leaders who are aware and Christians who are aware of the opportunity that we face right now to reach people with the gospel. My friends, that's the reason, we didn't understand it, but that's the reason why four years ago, Waypoint set a target goal of this November here in Richmond uh, through ICOM 2021 to plant 21 churches around the globe. People would say, well, that's a dumb thing to do during a pandemic. Why would you think about doing that? because God knew in advance of anything that we ever knew. Our friends, God has been preparing the hearts of individuals all over the globe in the five nations that you notice there where churches will be planted through ICON that's coming to Richmond in late November. I hope you will be there to see that. God gave my friend Zach absolute open eyes for addicts in Bristol, uh, Virginia. 
to plant the table. It was one of the two churches that we planted this, uh, this year during COVID. Uh, and the table's focus totally is on addicted people and on street people. And uh, they haven't been able to worship inside because the facility has been closed even now and just recently opened back up. Uh, but they've been meeting in a park and people are coming like crazy and listen to this. They baptized their 20th person Two weeks ago, can I get a, yeah, that's pretty cool. Why? Because God was preparing hearts to receive the gospel during this pandemic. My friend, uh, uh, my, my uh, friend Greg is uh, almost as old as I am. And he told me, I'm 66, he's about 60, he's a youngster. But uh, he told me, he said, man, I, I was not prepared at all. I am not prepared to do ministry today. He said, everything I learned in Bible college about how to do ministry, calling on people, going to the hospital, I couldn't do any of that stuff. You know, I couldn't do any of it whatsoever. We did start an online service. He said, I thought it was pretty bad, uh, but apparently some people didn't think so. He said, I had a couple who started attending online. They were in their 70s. And uh, they started attending online and they, they came to our church. And uh, after a few times online, they had a friend. Her name was Sandra. Sandra, listen, is 84 years old. She has stage four pancreatic cancer. There's nothing good about that. She starts watching online. Her friend said, we would invite you to come to church, but, you know, with COVID, you shouldn't be around other people. You might catch something. And she said, catch something? I got stage four cancer. And she comes, and about four weeks ago, she, she gave her heart to Christ, and she was baptized into Christ. Her friend that had invited her to come to church said to her, well, Sandra, now I guess you're ready to die. And Sandra said, no, now I'm ready to live. My friends, the opportunity is everywhere around us. And God has opened an absolute amazing door during this time. I could tell you so many other stories about churches that have opened counseling centers and ministries uh, for special needs adults and uh, churches that have hired community outreach staff. Why? Because COVID has given us the opportunity of a lifetime to reach people with the gospel like never, ever before. One last question will be done. And that is, Velocity, what are you going to do with your opportunity? We've talked about the opportunity. God has given us the opportunity, but what are you going to do during, uh, during COVID? You realize that during COVID, 100,000 restaurants closed in, uh, in the United States. Two and a half million jobs were lost and sales fell by $240 million. But there was one exception in the restaurant world. Anybody know what restaurant it was? They actually soared. We've all eaten there. Chick-fil-A. Yeah, I, I, you know, we can't eat Chick-fil-A today. I asked a friend of mine who owns two stores, I said, is there ever a time you are not packed full? He said, yes, yeah, Sunday. We're always empty on Sunday. <laughs> you realize COVID, uh, uh, during COVID, Chick-fil-A, uh, had a half billion dollar increase in revenue. Why? Because they saw 
and they seized an opportunity where other restaurants were closing down. Retailer after retailer after retailer shut their doors during COVID. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you go to malls or wherever, you see doors closed with one exception, one exception. Anybody ever bought anything from Amazon Prime? What a brilliant, I mean, it was, it was such a brilliant idea that their CEO went into space because of the dollars we spent on that. I got real worried because I would get on my phone, you know, uh, my bank statement, and, and my wife, who's sitting right back here, uh, I started getting real worried when I would see, man, today, five new orders. Yesterday, seven. It not, wasn't that many, but there were a bunch of orders. And then I asked her about it, and she said, Neil, don't you realize Amazon Prime, you order it, then you don't like it, just send it back. And I began realizing that more than three-fourths of the stuff she bought went right back to Amazon. I was standing in the uh, uh, standing in line at my local UPS store. I live down in Midlothian and standing there in, uh, in line, my lo- just one local UPS store, return spot, and there was a line, if you're returning to Amazon, this is the spot, everybody else go over here. And there was a long line of us, and I waited in line, I think I had two things, you know, and there were people with, they didn't, you don't have to package anything to send it back. Just bring in a stuffed elephant that you don't want anymore and drop it on the counter, and they will package it and send it right back for you. Anyway, I stand in line. I asked, my, uh, asked the manager who was waiting on me. I said, y'all are doing a booming business making returns for Amazon. Do you mind if I ask you how many return packages you get a, mo- uh, get a, a, a week? Uh, I'm sorry, a month. You know what she said? Her one store, one store, a thousand a week. Now, I am not a math major, but that is 52,000 packages a week. Those are only the returns only returns. Why did Amazon Prime excel when everybody else was shutting down their doors? Because they seized an opportunity and they capitalized on that opportunity. Sadly, most churches are missing the opportunity of a lifetime. Ben Kacharis, who preaches up at Mountain Christian Church in Baltimore, did our very first webinar during COVID about the ramifications of, 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 of COVID. This was back during month one. And he said there were going to be three types of churches and how they manage COVID. He said there would be churches that die. We haven't seen too many of them yet, though they are coming. There would be churches that survive And those first two categories are churches that they're just thinking to themselves, can't wait till it gets back to normal, hold on. Man, when it gets back to normal, when everything's wonderful again, you know, it's just that we can't wait till it gets back to normal. Don't hold your breath on getting back to normal. And there's a third category, and those are churches that thrive. Churches that die, Churches that survive, churches that thrive. Thriving churches are churches who are seeing this pandemic as the harvest field of a lifetime. And churches are growing during COVID with brand new people coming in who they are reaching out and individuals in the church are reaching out and making brand new disciples 
for Jesus Christ. So how can you as an individual and how can you as a church capitalize on the greatest opportunity you've ever had in a lifetime to uh, disciple someone into a relationship with Jesus Christ? Let me give you three words and uh, I'll stop. Number one, pray. Number one, pray. Verse 35, Jesus says, open your eyes, look up and see the harvest field. Pray that God would give you a heart to see hurting, lonely, needy women and men walking in isolation to the well. And they're all around you. Pray that God would give you eyes to see them. Number two, testify. That's a word we don't use very much in the church anymore. And I, I think it's to our shame that we don't. But in verse 39, it says that the whole village came out to meet Jesus because of the woman's testimony. What's a testimony? It's just your story. And my friends, if you're still telling the same testimony about how you were saved and accepted Jesus 30, 40, 50 years ago, if you're still telling that story today, man, God's not doing anything in your life today. What is your story right now during COVID? That's what people want to hear. They want to hear you admit COVID has been tough. It's been rough. Man, I've been shaken. But somehow God held me close. And somehow I'm still moving in the right direction. And number three is the word eternity. The scripture says that Jesus spoke to the woman and said, I don't want to talk about the physical water that you're drinking. Let me talk about living water that can well up to eternal life in your heart. Every single person that you saw being baptized into Christ in the video that we shared at the very beginning of my message today are individuals whose eternities have been changed forever. You know why? Because they were attending a church, Collective Christian Church, Frederick, Maryland, led by a pastor, and that church is willing to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to bring one more person to the foot of the cross. Only churches with kingdom eyes, are capitalizing on this, the greatest opportunity in our, in our history. And the question is, will you and I capitalize on that? Communion is about what Jesus Christ did for us. Every Sunday, at, uh, I have the privilege of being, I'm in about 40 churches a year, and one of the things that I look forward to the most is being able to celebrate the Lord's Supper with uh, uh, churches where sometimes I've never been before to be able to remember Jesus' body uh, that was just broken on the cross and his blood that was shed for us. We celebrate that today, remembering that somebody took the uh, opportunity to share the gospel with us. I remember the day when I accepted Jesus Christ and I was baptized into Christ one evening during a revival meeting. And I'm so thankful for the person that shared Jesus Really, the people that share Jesus with me. And today, if you're a Christian, you're here, celebrate the Lord's Supper, remembering those who shared Christ with you. And would you also pray as you're doing, receiving communion, God, give me eyes for people that don't know Jesus today as well. Let's pray together and receive the Lord's Supper. Father God, thank you for this time that uh, we have the chance 
to celebrate with Christians all over the world. Some in huge sanctuaries, some in grass huts, some by riverbanks. Large crowds, small crowds, just a few sometimes in the house churches. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that we have, whether we're here in this place or whether we're online, that we have the opportunity again to remember Jesus, your death and your burial and your resurrection. Thank you for what you've done for us and thank you for this opportunity to remember again. In Jesus' name, amen.